Welcome to Mental Awareness Discussion, the MAD Podcast, with Miles Weber, Heather Weber, and Susan Thompson. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the MAD Podcast, the Mental Awareness Discussion, brought to you, as always, by Broken Drift and Banana Bros. Make sure you go online. Follow Broken Drift and Banana Bros. Get all your swag there. So um, with me today, as always, are my co-hosts, uh, my lovely wife, Heather Weber. Hi. And our lovely friend from Canada, Susan Thompson. Hey, y'all. How you doing? Right on. Good to see you guys again, as always. And with us today uh, to talk about uh, depression from kind of like the professional slash clinical side of things, we have uh, my former therapist who has been a uh, marriage and family therapist for over 30 years now practicing. Uh, and she's a mother and a grandmother. So she's knows every single type of emotion you can shake a stick at. She's been through it all. So uh, she's helped me through a lot of tough times and what have you. Uh, so I am very excited to bring her onto the podcast today. We have Judith Joinville joining us. Hi, Judith. How are you? Hello. Good to see you all. Good to see you too. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast. We do greatly appreciate you coming on and we're trying to spread our awareness and educate folks about depression. So I don't know if you want to kind of give a little background. I know I touched on uh, the the type of therapy that you've specialized in your career. Uh, what type of things do you usually come across uh, in that field? And what are the type of uh, areas of expertise that you think you have? I know you mentioned earlier trauma, you know, I know if you want to go in a little bit deeper on that. Hmm. Well, um, recently, most recently because of COVID, I've been getting a lot of clients who have lost some family members to COVID. Mm. And in one case, um, quite a few family members, which is really, you know, grief, grief when it's um, unresolved and un you know, it hasn't been talked about enough and all the feelings that you have during uh, the process of grief and to make people feel like there's something wrong with them. And I try to, you know, console them and make them feel, you know, make them realize that whatever you're feeling right now about grief or regarding the grief is, um, is normal for you because everybody experiences it differently. In terms of depression, um, a lot of people are depressed and anxious, I'm finding out. And so I always tell them, well, you know, depression often is when you keep going back in the past. And anxiety is often when you're future oriented and you're concerned about every every little thing. So, you know, I try to get people to be in the moment, to focus on their breath, to look at their nutrition. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exercise. All very important things. Absolutely. And, and some clients, if, if I feel like they're right on the edge and they might hurt themselves, I, you know, encourage them to see a psychiatrist, make Mm -hmm. an appointment for a medication evaluation. Mm -hmm. Because I don't want them to hang out there too long with that degree of depression. Oh yeah, absolutely. Have have you noticed, uh, like, I know you said because of COVID, you know, there's been a lot of depression and anxiety that you've been 
dealing with, uh, with your clients. Uh, and thank you for distinguishing between the two. Cause I feel like people don't necessarily understand fully the difference between depression and anxiety, but that is pretty on the nose, what you, you described it as, um, have you noticed like a spike in depression since the, the pandemic hit, uh, are people becoming more depressed? I know, obviously if they've lost family members and loved ones from COVID, that's the obvious one. What do you think are the less obvious things about the pandemic that has been causing a rise in depression if there has been one? Well, the the inaction of the former administration was a big one and a lot of most, <clears throat> I would say probably 80% of the clients I, I've seen leading up to the pandemic were pretty depressed about the current administration. Really? So they were coming wow. to you and just being like, oh, I can't stand how this country's being ran. Right. Wow. The increase in, the increase in violence, the poverty, the lack of health care. Yeah. Wow. Financial difficulties. Did you have a lot of people during the pandemic have de- like have depression come up for the first time in their life? Maybe some, but I think I think at one time or another, people experience some episode of depression, whether it's long term depression or short term depression. Yeah, because there are different types of depression. What would you consider to be your definition of depression? And those different layers that you're just kind of going, because there is different types. There's regular depression, there's seasonal depression, you know, there's, there's a lot of different types. So oh, what yeah. is, what is your definition of those things? Yeah, I forgot about that. The seasonal affective disorder is pretty, that's mm-hmm. something to really watch out for. What I think of depression as um, is a pervasive sense of sadness, a lack of joy, lack of hope lack of believing in oneself. Um, And when it goes on too long, then your hormones, the hormones that make you feel good, dip down and it's hard to resurrect them. Mm. And so medication can help, exercise can help, having a clean diet, um, not eating foods, foods and drink that are are inflammatory, which affects the brain. Exercise is a big one for me. I get up every morning and exercise, drink some coffee, have a green drink and healthy breakfast. And I'm good, you know, and if I don't get to do that, hmm, not good. I'm not as fun to be around. So I've struggled with depression in my life. I had two parents that were pretty depressed. And so it was like I fought my way out of a big bag, you know. Would you uh, attribute your parents struggling with depression as part of a reason you got into the mental health field in the first place? Maybe, but I was, um, I felt like I always wanted to be a teacher and I was studying to be an artist. I was an art studio major and really doing a lot of art. And I had a dream one day that made me change my major the next day. It was a very profound dream about one of my spiritual mentors, Carl Jung. And it was so real. It was as real as I'm talking with you right now. And so I changed my major the next day and I felt like I was home. I felt like I was with people that kind of understood me. And um, we talked the same language. Wow. So your face lit up when you you said that, that's, Mm. that sounds amazing to me. Like my daughter's an artist and she's also very, empathetic like myself oh really 
Yeah, just to hear that, that, oh my God, sorry. Uh, <laughs> you're giving wow. Susan hope. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, yes. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, the only problem was getting back to my art, which is another story, but I'm, mm -hmm. I'm starting to have glimmers of it. But it does, being a therapist and going through all the school, you know, it's a master's degree and then 3,000 hours, and then you're still just a beginner. Yeah. It takes years to start to feel really confident. And even still, you know, I oh, wonder. Sure. And so I stay humble. <laughs> oh, for sure. I imagine. Yeah. I'd imagine because you only have an hour with people. So, I mean, you, from week to week, you can only see so much of your impact. You know, I mean, really, it's kind of over time, you know, kind of a situation where, like, I could say personally, you know, you and I spent years doing sessions together. And I could say like now being where I'm at in my life now, it's, it, I've really been able to keep with everything and apply it all the way along and things are doing really well. We're doing really, doing really good. And, you know, I have my good days and my bad days, of course, but I mean, I feel like I'm, I'm better equipped to, to deal with those bad days, you know? And so I feel like, with, especially on the subject of, you know, people cycling through different types of depression, you know, in today's society, um, do, do you think that uh, when people experience clinical depression, do you think that they do they seem to kind of see it coming? Are there are there any telltale signs people are about to kind of when they feel a depressive state coming on? Because I know with some type of disorders, like sometimes like I've talked to people with bipolar disorder or borderline personality, they kind of feel certain moods coming on. There's something that kind of feels like a shift. Do you think that that exists in some type of depressions or do you think sometimes it just hits people blindsided? I would say, yeah, it could be a gradual onset, but most people and people feel sad for a while and then they go in a, into a depression. But I've never, you know, as you're saying this, I don't think I've ever had someone tell me that they felt it coming on, mm. you know, okay. so that's that's a good question to ask clients. I mm. think, you know, I might I might uh, try that, see what happens. Because I guess as a as a therapist and then as an individual, like you hear so many I've heard before from therapists, oh, you should have come in a while ago, but you don't necessarily know until it's your time. So literally, once you're there, that's it. Now is the time to work and just appreciate the time that you and the therapist are able to have together. So now it's a chance to keep moving forward. So I guess right. there's really no right time. There's just every person well, you know what in the in the case of i've had several adult clients who have said gee i wish i had you back when i was a kid because i was asking my parents to get me into therapy um two that i can think of right off the top of my head and they didn't you know because they, then they they might have felt ashamed or there's something wrong with my kid and if a child is asking for help, that's a pretty good sign that uh, you better damn well get get a therapist for that kid, you know. Yeah. And so it does, you know, the so that trauma or whatever it is that asks that makes the child ask for um, a therapist grows and festers and gets deeper. Mm -hmm. Doesn't usually doesn't go away. I just think it, the emotional intelligence of any child to be able to understand their situation and be like, oh, I need help. I would I, I'd actually think I'd really appreciate talking to somebody. I know too many adults who just because of the stigma surrounding therapy are like, oh, I'm good. 
Like, and I'm like, oh, you probably need it the most, homie. Like, so, I mean, that usually is kind of the tell when, whenever I see somebody poo-pooing therapy, I'm like, oh, you're probably fucked up <laughs> in a lot of ways, man. Like, uh, but yeah, I think that's wild to have children now. Like we're at a point where children are. I was one of those kids. The only reason I got into therapy was later in my teenage years. And that was court ordered. So I was asking as a kid and wasn't getting it. So yeah, mine was court ordered and that's how I got it. See, I would act out like I was, well, not in the, not like a criminal, like I was a theater major and I went to a fine arts school. So I kind of threw myself into like arts and theater and everything else, which is, I guess it's part of my therapy now, but that's one thing I've pushed my children to is if you need help, I, mom and dad can't always help you. We you don't always want to talk to your parents, but to hear my daughter say, I think I need some help with something that takes more strength than we even realize. We hold it as a, we used to hold it so high as a weakness. It's not a weakness to admit that there's something you're having trouble with. I think it, it makes you a better person. Not that I think it does. I know it does. Oh mm-hmm. well, yeah. You're trying to work on your blind spots, right? I mean, you're yeah. recognizing that there's some, some areas in your life that you think could be better quality of life would go up if in a lot of ways, if these key areas were better, you know? And so I think it takes a lot to recognize that and then go in and get the help. I mean, you, obviously you two ladies were, when you were younger, you knew that there was something going on. And so you at least had that wherewithal. I, it took me getting out of my household away from like the, the parental umbrella I was under to be like, Oh, none of this is okay. Like none of this was, none of this was good. Okay. You all didn't have this really? What? And so then you're, yeah. And so then you're kind of picking up as an adult in the adult world where the stakes are higher. I almost wish that, you know, we'd encourage more uh, therapy and counseling for children to start unpacking these things when the stakes are low. Cause I think Judith, do you think there's something to be said for, for waiting too long in life to, to unpack some of these things and address things like depression or past trauma? For sure. Especially in young families, families who are struggling with money and their, their, all their energy is going out to survival and they're not, they're not listening to their kids, you know, or the, the, or they don't understand child development, you know, like when a kid is once, you know, they have their, their period of tantrums, the brainstorms, and that's normal. And a lot of parents don't think they think there's something wrong with their kid. Mm-hmm. You know, and then, you know, you go and kids go into teenagehood and I've worked with so many parents who just they think their kids are awful. And they say, well, you know, they're past latency age. So they're it, their brains are expanding and they're questioning everything right, as they should. And parents just, you know, their child is no longer um, the agreeable little person that they had before a year ago, you know, and so it's, it causes a lot of grief in families instead of just acknowledging this is a phase they're in and let them have their say and they need to be able to swear and maybe kick a door once in a while or call you a name and, and then you kind of keep your cool. But a lot of parents don't know how to keep their cool. It's really, really sad. Well, no one teaches us that. All of a sudden you leave that hospital and you've got this tiny little person and they're like, oh, you got a car seat? Yeah, I got a car seat. And okay, we'll see you when they're 18. But it's the most important job in the world, never comes with a manual. And 
you're continuously trial by error. And yeah. sometimes sometimes those errors are like, oh, snap, that was that was not good. Is this going to yeah. affect them? And you may not know till years down the line. And yeah, it's, it's that terrifies me. Interesting that the car seat's the mandatory thing and not yeah. like parenting classes. No. <laughs> yeah. Parenting classes are mandatory if the couple is getting a divorce, then they have to do parenting classes. But for parents that are together, not mandatory. Not enough. Yeah. They just assume that everything's all gravy. And that just shows you like the healthcare system where their priorities are. They're like, you got the car seat? Is this kid going to get home okay? All right. We just needed to be in your house so it's not our problem anymore. You know, there's too there's too much red tape and you getting in an accident on the way home from the hospital that we might have to answer a few questions mm-hmm. about the anesthesia we gave you. So, uh, yeah. so yeah, I think that, yeah, there needs to be something. There needs to be like, you know, like you said, take a class, like take a parenting class, do something. But at the, on the subject of uh, kids and, and the things that they're experiencing. And I feel like, I feel like we all kind of feel like there's a, a, a rise in depression amongst young people nowadays. And have you been seeing that? And how much of that do you attribute to social media and the media in general? You know, I want to, we want to kind of peel back. What are your thoughts on how social media and the media are playing a role in depression for young people and just people in general? Well, social media is, um, pretty much showing the negative sides of, of uh, what's happening in the world. We're not hearing much hope, it seems like. There needs to be more good news networks, you know, because it's hard, you know, you think about the environment, there's all kinds of cool people doing wonderful things for the environment. We don't hear about it. No. You know? So I think there's a sense of doom and gloom uh, among young people um, once they realize what's going on that is really scary. Like, I, will I be able to be an adult? You know, will there be water? Will there be, you know, will, will we have food? Um, that's one thing. And I think the other the other the good thing about media is that it connects people. Like this, you know, yeah. the next people is, but you have to be careful. I think parents need to really watch what their kids are, are uh, pay attention to what their kids are watching and, and that's dealing with and talk to them about it. Stay, stay on that level, whatever age your kid is, try to get in on that level. I stopped working with children for the most part because I get so frustrated by parents uh, you know the i'll be working with a kid and the kid will be the child will be doing maybe better and talking about things in session and then they they go home and the parents are still fighting or still going through their drama and it's it's really discouraging so i had to kind of step back from working with children for now and and i rather want to when a parent calls and they say, I want you to see my kids. And I say, I'd rather see you and talk to you about how you're parenting and give you some, you know, some tools and some education. I think that's great. That's, that's definitely the way to do it. Just for me doing personal training with kids, obviously way see it. It's like, I can't talk to a kid about nutrition. They don't do the grocery shopping. So I have to sit down and talk to the parents about it. And okay, well, will you let your kid go for a run, go for a walk, come to the gym, do these things. So yeah, it's same thing. It has to go back to the parents. You can only do so much with the kids themselves. Yeah. So glad you're doing that, Heather. Yeah. <laughs> That's that was, uh, that was humbling for me 
Uh, my daughter is, she's very much like me. So almost everything that I deal with, I'm noticing she deals with. And to admit that I couldn't look after everything that she needed was probably the most humbling thing of my life to know that I can't do this alone. But if you think about a long, long time ago, we used to raise families together. We didn't Mm -hmm. do it alone. And to know that, okay, this is going to be better for me. So it is a condition of the counseling that she's doing that I have to be involved. And so does her father. And that was something I wasn't going to bend on. I was like, no, no, this is stemming from part of this is her. A lot of it's us. Mm -hmm. We need to work on this to make sure that they're going to be better. And we, we live in a world of adults that you're not supposed to make mistakes and we need to get away. We need to get away from that. It's it's okay to make mistakes. That's how you learn. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, and, and I think you touched on the point, like it takes a village, right? I mean, we we used to have the village and now it's just the parents, but I do want to acknowledge you for, for, uh, being able to, I think what's the best way to put it, dissolve the ego as it were to, to sit and go, okay, here's an issue with my child, but is there anything here that I'm doing wrong? Is there anything I could be doing better? Because, because I mean, I feel like so often we see from a parental or authority figure standpoint in a, in a, a youth's life, it's too easy to be like, oh, well, they're a kid. They're just dumb. They just don't know what they're doing. You just don't know how the world works. And it's just so easy to dismiss. And I think it's much harder to put the mirror on yourself and, and go, yeah. oh, well, is there any accountability I need to be taking in this? How could I be a better parent? Yeah. And to, to look at what kids deal with now, just to go on to social media And even from when we were kids, all of us, like it has changed tremendously. And to see what these kids go through now and to be humbled by what they're trying to wade through, it has to be acknowledged that their job just for themselves is beyond difficult. They deserve every opportunity possible, whether you have money, no money, like the village is worth more than anything. Oh yeah, absolutely. 100%. Absolutely. Um, I, I, on, on the subject of talking about a parenting standpoint, uh, Judith, do you have any advice for if there are parents who may be listening, who have a child who is suffering from dep- depression? Cause I know anytime you have somebody close in your life that is experiencing depression or some type of disorder that it's really taken an emotional toll on them, it's so hard to watch. And you always want to feel like you can fix everything, but that's just unfortunately not the case. You kind of have to take a step back and look at it with a, a realistic lens. So what advice do you have for parents that might have a child or somebody that close to them that's experiencing depression? They suspect that their their child is depressed if yeah. their grades go down or if they're using drugs or, or, you know, if they're not having friends, you know, they're not playing with friends or they're being bullied. Um, I would say ask open-ended questions. I would uh, I would say be open to whatever your child says to you. I would say explore with them what interests they might have, and and also of course get them get them some help um, because children children don't have the emotional language that adults do, mm-hmm. and I found with a few clients that I've had that yeah. have had. Um, someone you know they have they've been depressed for a while and i always ask the parent has 
has anything traumatic happened recently in the last six months or year? And they'll say, oh, well, their grandfather died um, a year ago. And, you know, bingo. <laughs> they weren't talking about it. Mm-hmm. So the parents thought they were okay. And I see that over and over again. Someone significant will die or a pet will die or a friend will move away. And, you know, that the child doesn't, they don't know. They just accept. They just go along for the ride. But it's really sad. And so it's great when you can get in there and, and have the parent talk to the child about, about the death or the loss. Teach them how to cope. Teach them how to cope, right? Susan, did you have something you were, I saw you were trying to say then. I was just like, you're saying everything right. Like as adults, we seem to forget that we're trying to lead these kids through this life. If if it's that overwhelming for us, take someone that's like a third of your size and a third of your knowledge to understand what the hell's going on around them and make sense of it. Mm -hmm. Well, and just, Trauma is so different to adults versus kids because I had that in my teenage years where I was depressed and one of my parents was like, well, why are you depressed? There's nothing going on for you to be depressed. And I was like, oh, okay, well, yeah, I guess I'll just figure it out then. Yeah, you've got everything. What could you possibly be depressed about? Yeah, yeah, it's kind of just like as long as the survey of everything in your orbit looks fine to them, it's just uh, it's that lack of empathy, right? And and a misunderstanding. I'm constantly in a state of having to remind people your world is not the world. Like you really need to understand that your experience on this planet is going to be completely different from every other human's experience. And so, yeah, right now it looks like. I mean, what are you talking about? There's no danger. There are no wolves trying to eat us. Like you've got money and the bills are paid and a roof over your head and you're, you're fed. What's the, what's the deal? Or you might have like a girlfriend or a boyfriend. Come on. And it's all things that they equate to happiness. And if you're experiencing something like what you're talking about, trauma, something happened to me and I haven't dealt with it. I haven't really felt those feelings from that time because it just feels too harsh to to feel and i just don't have the time to feel it and so you just carry it around with you and yeah it doesn't look like anything's going on on the surface but underneath it's a volcano it, it there could be a lot of suffering there so yeah i i can't stand it when people are so dismissive uh like that mm-hmm. So, um, Judith, uh, we're going to be wrapping up here in a few minutes, but I did want to kind of mention, cause you, you touched on it earlier, a few things that as far as, uh, from a therapist standpoint, very emotionally taxing, I'd imagine from time to time, if you're just talking to people about their traumas and getting frustrated with, you know, maybe some people's habits or what's going on with the parents back home and what have you, uh, what do you, I know you said a few things that you do earlier to kind of take care of yourself. What are the things that you do to take care of yourself for you, uh, to kind of keep things from getting too heavy? And what are those things that you do where if you don't do them, you're like, Oh no, yeah, I noticed a substantial difference (laughs) in when it versus when I do it versus is when I don't do it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I, yeah. Just a few months ago, I got to well, maybe two months ago, I got to a point where I need a vacation. I've been just going at this for four or five months without a break. So I took I took some time off, and it was so great, you know, just to just to not have to 
not have to punch a clock in a sense and do the paperwork and hear stories. And I love the work. I feel like I'm doing something good in the world by helping people, but um, that's what I do. I'll take some time off. Um, I will um, go for a bike ride. I, I have a road bike, so I, go, I get out on the get out on the road on the on the trails and ride my bike. Um, being out in the water, being out in nature, and these are all things I recommend to people as well. Um, I have a couple of paddle boards. You know, sometimes I'll get together with family members and we'll go paddle boarding. Um, I I just joined a consultation group with three other therapists, and that's been helpful as well. And I've also been thinking lately, maybe I need to get back into therapy. I think that would be a good uh, bonus for me as well. But the best thing for me is just getting out in nature and having a whole day or two days off and just be in the glory of what what we have, you know. I live Um, in a beautiful part of the world and even though there's a drought and things like that you know the drought and um fire danger each day is an adventure yeah oh yeah yeah um, and i and i'm the same i mean my happy place is always going out and being outside for a long walk like if it's nature cool but just being outside moving doing something something relatively active outside i don't even on days when i don't really ah, i probably don't feel like it right now but yeah but you know i'm gonna feel real good when it's over you know and just that that knowing of doing those things so it's nice to hear from a professional that like yeah no there's something to be said for being outside and being active gets your endorphins going and lately i'm noticing in the field of therapy of psychotherapy people are promoting nature you know, whereas, you know, 20, 30 years ago, it was unheard of. You didn't even talk about those things. I always did. But, <laughs> but the, you know, I felt like I was an outlier with, with some of the things that uh, that I did. So I kind of kept a low profile. But now now I'm, you know, obviously on this and in talking to people, I promote get your feet, get your take your shoes off, get your feet in the earth, you know, get on the water, get a, get under a tree, do something. I'm doing um, that as soon as we're done. I'm going into the yard. <laughs> I'm doing what's called grounding. So literally just oh, good. I'm 14, so I can go outside of my yard and I'm just going to stand in that grass for 20 minutes. And I'm actually excited to collect myself. It's going to be good. Do you, uh, do you have any clients that are struggling with, um, like taking on that advice because they're worried about going outside right now because of the pandemic? No, because not, not at this point, I I could see where that could be a problem, but most people have, you know, there's parks nearby and, um, I think a lot of people feel like the pandemic sort of over. I was horrified to hear about a family that went camping in a big crowded place. And I said, weren't, weren't you a little concerned? <laughs> but they've, they've been vaccinated. So I guess they felt like they were safe, but mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know. Usually people, most people that, that I talk to about that are either willing to do it or, or they, they don't, but it's not necessarily because of pandemic. No. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like a backyard. They can yeah. go out there. Everybody's kind of doing different. It's going to be a weird change. I feel like some people are being like myself are being kind of reserved. Like, "Mm, I don't trust. Like if we're just going on the honor system that all y'all got vaccinated, 
I don't trust you people. I'm not trusting it. Yeah. If you're asking me to trust an American to tell the truth, I don't think we're going to get along too much. Like this is, yeah, don't, don't put that on me. (laughs) That's that's not. I'm sorry. That was, I'm with, I'm with you on that. You know, there's something that I wanted to bring up and that's that a lot of people, um, feel like they're depressed. I've seen this over and over again, especially with nurses, that they are working several shifts a week. They have family, they have maybe a relationship that's not going so well. Um, They're not getting any help at home. And when they tell me what their life is like, they think they're depressed. And I, I will often say, it sounds like you're depleted, you know, and depletion emotional and physical depletion where you just have nothing left and you've done no self-care can feel like depression. So it's kind of good to tease that out. You know, that's one thing. And then the other point thing is um, I've, I've worked with a few more than, more than I'm happy about women who have had postpartum depression. And so they go to a doctor and they get antidepressants. And, you know, I don't know how many people know this, but if you, when you have a child sometimes or in different phases of your life, your hormones can go wacko, you know, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone can be all out of whack. And if you get too much estrogen, you can be depressed, um, too much. I, I don't know exactly. I'm not a, you know, medical kind of person, but I do know that there are people who do testing to see what could be off. And that could also be a reason. It's not always because of situational. It could be, you know, you're not getting enough DHEA or you're not getting enough. Um, what's the other hormone? Uh, thyroid. Oh, thyroid. Exactly. I was yeah. going to say that thyroid. Yeah cortisol your cortisol could be off if you're really highly stressed your cortisol is let's see it should be up in the morning and down at night but for a lot of people cortisol is up in the evening and you can't sleep Mm -hmm. and it needs to be evened out so i i recommend that people get uh, saliva testing for their cortisol um thyroid And then one more thing, you know, oxytocin is a really important, it's the love hormone. And when people break up from, you know, from a relationship or a marriage, they crash and burn because they're not getting that, the touch and the feel and the emotional, the sex, the everything, you know, and so they crash and burn. And I've seen people in a near suicidal state just because of that. Well, probably other things, but yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oxytocin drops and or a child dies, you know, and then you've got the double thing. You don't have the connection, you know, of someone who's lost their baby at an early age, like three months old. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've been holding the baby and nursing and the oxytocin's flowing and then SIDS happens or something yeah. happens and it's a horrible crash. Oh yeah. I want to, I want to talk a little bit more about the postpartum depression, but after that, I also want to circle back around. So remind me, I want to circle back around to when you talked about earlier about the mental health care professions and the rise in depression in that industry, because that's fascinating to me as well. But on the subject of postpartum depression, um, a lot of people don't understand the concept of postpartum depression. I feel like mostly men, right. I feel like we, you know, can't possibly understand, but in talking to women who have, you know, or mothers, um, there's something to be said about that feeling of growing a human 
inside of you, what's a stronger connection to another human than that. And then to birth this human and it's not in you anymore. There's something psychologically that I've talked to a lot of mothers. They feel like that also might play a factor, like being one with somebody. And then all of a sudden it's out of you and all the attentions on this baby and not you. Uh, Do you think that that plays a big role in some of the postpartum Definitely that happens with the, especially the part about um, the attention is all on the baby. And I remember once when my youngest child was born and, and all, and this one woman that I had worked with um, brought me a beautiful negligee. And I thought that was so cool because she brought me something, you know, yeah. I felt I pre- I felt postpartum joy, you know. I didn't have the postpartum. I was so gaga <laughs> over these kids, you know. Susan's so jealous of you right now. Look at her. <laughs> <laughs> well, it doesn't happen to everybody, but <laughs> I really wanted to be a mother, and I probably wasn't ready. But you know, I don't think you ever are, right? Oh, God, I no. don't think I've ever spoke. I've never yeah. talked to a parent who was like, "We had it all under control." Yeah, no, I don't think that exists. They'll beat the shit out of you. Yeah, that's a psychopath. If you say, yeah, I don't, I felt raising another human being to function in a positive way in today's society, you're high. If you think you've got a clue on what to do, like, just do the best you can. Yeah, do the best you can. But Susan, what did you expect? Because you were, when she said postpartum joy, you looked disgusted, genuinely. You were just like, what are I you even like, saying? Like what? Well, I was diagnosed, like I had schizoaffective disorder when I had my daughter already. Oh, wow. And I was like, this is to admit that and to be able to go through that. But then once I had her and all of a sudden, I didn't matter. Like nobody was there with me. I had a cesarean. They're like, thanks for your service. Everyone's mm-hmm. upstairs with her and I'm in recovery. And I'm like, okay, this, this is it. I am. Um, I'll do this myself, I guess. Like I had family, but I think everyone gets so excited to see that baby. And all of a sudden your job's over. You're just, you're just there to hold the baby when all shit goes down. And it's, this, I, I just found it, I mean, maybe I'm, I don't know if I was odd or different. And I felt horrible for saying it. I did not feel like a good parent or good person. It took a lot for me to learn to love this person mm. and to know that the people around me were, you were kind of seen as last. So it took a long time to kind of go, no, I need to matter in this situation because you all go to work and you all do your thing or go back to family, et cetera. I'm here. This is, this is my life. Mm -hmm. I put everything on hold for this. So it's, it's a lot to take on and it takes a really good um, spouse. If you have one, I think a really good family support to understand that you do matter and to give you that time to be away from that baby, because it can be beyond exhausting. Oh yeah. Well, and then you touched on that. I mean, how much do you think uh, a supportive spouse who can check in on you as often as possible? Do you think that that is a, a big help? Is it a small help? You think, I mean, like where, where on the scale, what, what can a husband do to help his wife with postpartum? Should she be experiencing that in that moment? Because it's so easy to be like, now I have this new baby 
it was growing in you for so long. I'll hold it for nine months just to be fair. Like, so I, yeah. What are some things that, a, a, a an expecting father to be can do for his expecting mother to be, to kind of check in and make sure she's doing okay. Just ask her how she's doing. What does she need? Does she need to get away for an hour to a half hour? It sounds stupid and cliche. Bring home flowers for her. Um, take that baby for a walk. Like I not everything was my ex's fault because I am now divorced. There's lots of things that I could have done too. Like I could have been way more open, like, Hey, I need help, man. Mm-hmm. But little things, they, it's just being in tune with still remember the person that you fell in love with. Makes it sense. Makes all the difference in the world to know that there's somebody there for you. Oh yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Dear, do you have any questions? I don't know if you're Um, I mean, not necessarily on the postpartum, but more what she was saying earlier about um, getting like the proper tests done for your health and like actually seeing what's there. Um, Because I I think that's such a really good point to be an advocate of your own health, Um, because I know myself and many other people I've talked to that go to the doctors and it's, oh, let's just put you on this thing. You're too young. This hasn't happened. We're not going to run all these tests. So, yeah, I think it's so important for you to be a major advocate for yourself. So those tests do get done to see where your levels are at. See, Heather's a a fighter. She's good. (laughs) Exactly. I will sometimes recommend people to, you know, change healthcare practitioners, change therapists. I mean, if something isn't working for you, you're not getting what you feel you need. Look, look elsewhere. Mm -hmm. You know, because a lot of people do not take their patients seriously. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, there's a lot, a lot of women. I know a lot of black women who don't get the type of men, type of healthcare that they need. You know, they're still taught like, ah, well, their bodies are different. And it's just like, no, they're still humans. Like, I mean, a lot of the, you should really treat them as such, you know? I mean, so it's, it's interesting how far we've come with a lot of medical things. And it's so fascinating. Certain things it's like, really? Like, how are we still trying to come up with this? You know, I mean, seems like this should be pretty standard to, you know, all right, well, this is what we need to do. And this is, let's make sure this is as safe and secure as possible. And this shouldn't have to financially bankrupt you or emotionally tax you, you know, uh, you, you should be able to get the complete and total care that you need. It could be a lifesaver. It could be a money saver. If you find out instead of trying, I'm a big proponent of functional medicine because I was super sick for a long time and I thought I was going to die. And it turned out, you know, I got a functional medicine doctor and she did all these tests and I was really depressed because I had brain fog. I, you know, I'd, I'd be up for two hours and then have to sleep again. You know, it was horrible. So for, for that, for me, that was, that saved my life. And I often tell people, you know, if you're, instead of somebody just throwing medication at you, find out what's really going on, you know? Yeah, yeah. In in terms, Miles, in terms of your last uh, question about men and, and their spouses, the mothers of their children, um, it's always good to say something like, I, you know, I can't be in your, I, I can't know what's in your body, but can you please help me try to um, explain what you're feeling and what it's like for you and I'll do what I can and how can I help you and try to um, be proactive, you know, make her comfortable. 
And I think, oh yeah, absolutely. A lot physically and emotionally, but I think you hit a nail on the head, which I think is just a fundamental thing in healthy relationships. And it was the best advice I've ever gotten about how to maintain happiness in relationship is genuinely trying to understand the other person. So, I mean, like you're trying to, the, the way you're phrasing that is like, Hey, there's no way I could know what this is like. Try and walk me to it. Like really paint the picture. Cause I want to do everything I can to understand. And that's such a, uh, a major thing in relationships, just in, not just in the postpartum subject, just in general, you know, if your spouse or loved one is going through any type of thing, trying to come to a, don't dismiss, don't poo poo. Like, ah, it's, it's your problem. Try and come to a point of understanding, well, where are you coming from with this? How did you get here? What brings you out? Like, is there anything I could be doing? You know what I mean? So, so yeah, trying to understand as long as you speak from a point of understanding, I think you'll be okay. You got a good base already. Heather's a strong woman. Thanks. You got it. She's an advocate for herself. And a lot of, I know you've probably done this, Heather, you have doctors and nurses and stuff. And you're like, no, I think this is going on and this would be good. And they're like, you're not the expert, you know, your body and you know yourself. That's how I, that's how I found out I had cancer. (laughs) They were just going to push it to the side and, oh, you're too young. We're not doing all these tests. It's fine. And then they're like, roll back on that. What? Yeah, when she was in her early 20s, yeah. 10 years ago, yeah. I had health problems going on and they weren't taking it seriously. And uh, they had they did all the tests and I was like, oh, look, look at that. So. Yeah. yeah. And you're here. Good. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Beat ovarian cancer twice. So yeah, made it happen. So, so yeah, it's, it, you have to advocate for yourself. You. Yeah, you have to advocate for yourself. You dare do whatever you can to advocate for your 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 own health. And mm-hmm. now this is what's going on. Or have and someone do it for you. if you Absolutely. Can. Absolutely. And, and I, like you said, you're right. I do have a good base. Heather is a strong woman, but I feel like of people, I always tell folks, you should check on your strong friends, you know, do what you, the, the happy friends, the happy go lucky people, the people who don't seem like they have stress, the people who seem like, you know, that's who you go to, you know, when you need advice or you need someone to lean on, check on those people often. Because I mean, I don't think most people check on strong people and it's because they think, oh, well, you've got it all put together and you're so they're fine. They're so strong. Look at all that they've been through. And it's like, yeah, man, but they're allowed to have bad days too. And I, and I feel like they probably would appreciate it if more people checked in on them on those bad days, instead of having to dish out little bits of their happiness, you know, to try and be there for everybody else, you know, so do, do what you can to fill the cup of a, a strong person. You know, no matter how strong you think they are, because like we're talking about this all with the depression right now, I mean, you just it's springing up in so many communities, so many different types of people and so many like we will circle back to that right now to, to kind of try and wrap this up. You were talking about like the medical health industry, like, you know, frontline workers and, and the the emotionally taxing things that have happened to them in the past year. Do you, would you say that depression you've seen depression rise in the mental or or not the mental health, but like the health field, like the, the, the medical field, has that been one of the fields that depression has really spiked in the last year? Or is there another group of people that you're like, Oh, these people have really been affected. I'm what I'm hearing more from people that I talk to, um, and I don't get out that much, but the people that I talk to are in the health field are more stressed than anything else. And they that's what they talk about. They don't talk about the depression as much, but I know there's been a lot of suicides amongst 
healthcare workers who are working directly with COVID and just seeing these feeling like, you know, they have to let go of one person to save another because there's not enough staff. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a situational kind of thing where you're just taxed to the brink and you're not getting, you're depleted. Again, that's depletion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You have no more resources, inner, inner resources. I know out of like the people that I've talked to as far as like a, a spike in depression in the last year was teachers. Teachers were a big one. That depression, I feel like hit hard in the last year. Yeah, that makes sense. That mm-hmm. makes sense. And uh, just uh, teachers are always having to be thrown to the wolves, right? I mean, even before COVID, oh, it was God. very much so like you're underpaid, underappreciated, overloaded with students, fend for yourself. And then the pandemic hit and they had to fight to try and get laptops for themselves and everybody so that they could do social distance learning. Like, come on, guys, really? You know, and, and they so- have to do these hybrid things, <laughs> these hybrid things where you're you're doing two different kinds of classrooms. One wow. online and one in, and they're, yeah, they are expected. I agree, Heather. Yeah. <laughs> they have gone through hell. Yeah. And, and then they say, you know, then the principal or someone in administration will give them a new set of things to implement in their classroom. And they're going, what the fuck, you know, yeah. <laughs> what, what uh-huh. you know, how much more they're already working weekends, you know? Yeah. Yeah, they're already breaking themselves to the bone. And that's another group who, like we were kind of touched on earlier, that's another group who can see the frustration in parenting at home and and understanding that there are deeper rooted problems than just a, a child acting out and going, oh, no, I I, I knew when uh, the parent teacher conference, you know, I mean, uh, talking to my godparents who are teachers and my godmother, who was my fourth and fifth grade teacher and her being like, I knew in your parents parent teacher conference that your dad was trouble. Like, I like. They know, you know, they, they can see when there's going to be some issues at home that might affect the child. And so there's something to be said for being able to recognize seeing something happen with a person and going, is there a root cause to this instead of just dismissing it? Like I'm trying to make a conscious effort to whenever, if I see somebody acting strange in public. I'm trying to rewire my brain to stop going, oh, that person's crazy and just move forward and try and get to, oh no, this person's having a mental health crisis. They probably need help. We should probably call someone and then we should wait and see how that goes down once they get here. Like, I feel like we're at a point now where we can't be so dismissive with what's going on with people. And when people are in crisis, we can't just keep it moving. You know, I feel like we got to be able to stop and go, oh no, there's probably some... To, to, to look at a situation and not take it personally as of someone's yelling at you or having an outburst or having a hard time, it, it's probably not about this thing. It's, there's probably something deeper seated than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, uh, ladies, do you have any more questions for Judith or I can think of. Yeah, I could go on for days, but this was I I'm amazed how much better I feel just talking to you. Oh, this was super helpful. Absolutely. This was wonderful. I feel like this is the good educational thing to do. Mm -hmm. Judith, it was so nice talking to you today. You have no idea. Thank you so much. Yes. Yes. So thank you so much. 
Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing, dude. We really appreciate you coming on. And I'm sure at some point, maybe when we're talking about like anxiety or trauma or something like that, one of your expertise, you know, we'll, we'll call on you again. I would like that actually. There's, there's more things that keep coming up like intergenerational trauma. That's a Mm -hmm. big one. Oh yeah. Causes depression. So yeah. Yeah. We'll have, we'll try and see if we can get circle around, bring you on when we're talking about trauma and PTSD and stuff like that. Okay. Thanks for Absolutely. Thanks for coming on, Ruth. And thanks for watching. Absolutely. It was so good seeing you too. And thank you all for watching. We appreciate you. And join us next time for another mental health discussion on the Mad Podcast. My name is Miles Weber. I'm Heather Weber. Susan Thompson. Thank you very much, y'all. Have a good day, everybody.